starting in Luke chapter 20, verse 20. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. So keep in mind, Jesus is now in Jerusalem, very towards the very end of his earthly ministry. He's before the people and he's in the temple speaking and so on. But the Jewish leaders, the, the temple leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they are trying to find a way to get Jesus arrested, to get him killed, to get him out of the way. And so they're coming to him at this point and they're sending spies or people that are, that are coming with an intent of trying to trap Jesus. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. How flattering. And how, you know, if we heard that, we would say, oh, these people are for me. Uh, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public and astonished by his answer, they became silent. Go a little further to Luke chapter 21, starting in verse one. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Two different stories or two different things but both with coins in there and both really having to do with how we give. But the first part of this is about paying taxes. If you're looking for a spirited discussion with most anybody, all you need to do is bring up the topic of taxes. Money, yes, then taxes. Why should we pay taxes? How much should we pay? To whom should we pay? How long should we keep paying taxes? For what purpose or use are these taxes going? And then who benefits from this? You can can talk to most anybody in the world, anywhere in the world, and they'll have an opinion about taxes. Now we've already seen through multiple scriptures and especially as as we looked at the story of Zacchaeus and so on, that Roman taxation in Jesus' time was excessive. And the proceeds were definitely misused. I mean, the emperor was living in this very lavish lifestyle. Uh, I mean, there was all sorts of money that was going to the Roman army or whatever else. So taxes were not just for the benefit of the people. Now the Romans, by by the way, they they built the roads, they did 
whole bunch of things that established border, built up the cities. They had sorts of things that they were doing for the people as such. So there was some things that were coming from those taxes, but it was a burden. It was a burden on the people. Now in our own time, even if taxes are not quite as burdensome as Romans, as the Roman Empire's taxes, there are loopholes in our tax laws, there's misappropriation, there's waste, and you know, you, you sort of look at it and you go, ah, oh, taxes. And by the way, there are some who suggest that Jesus, in his response, was not actually telling the people to pay taxes to Caesar, but he was really making a subtle act of sedition, an act against the government. Some people say this. However, if you read how Jesus responds, and the fact that these men were coming not to praise Jesus or not to really get an answer to their question, they were coming to trap him. So if Jesus had given a response that even subtly or even, you know, sort of, obliquely in some way was referring to not honoring Caesar, they would have gone after him, right? They would have said, oh, Jesus is saying, don't give taxes or don't pay taxes to Caesar. You know, he's coming against the Roman Empire. Oh, you know, and they would have tried to do it. In fact, when we get to the trial of Jesus in Luke chapter 23, this is the very same accusation that they make. They bring him before Pilate and they say, he said, Jesus said, not to pay taxes to Caesar. He's coming against the, you know, the emperor or the empire. And the Bible says that both Pilate and Herod tried all sorts of things or asked questions and looked. And finally they said, we have no charge against him. So if in fact Jesus was saying, don't pay taxes, go against the Roman empire, you know, who is Caesar? Don't, don't, you know, if he was really saying that, there would have already been an effect, an impact. So I don't feel that it's right for us to think about this as Jesus subtly saying, don't pay taxes. So don't walk away from this sermon today and say, I don't think we should pay taxes. Because I'm getting to this point to say that the most straightforward reading of this text and other texts would suggest that the Bible instructs us to pay taxes. In fact, let me give you an example from Matthew chapter 17. If you go to Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27, it says, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. Peter was quite a jump in first and then figure out what's going on kind of guy. Right? I, he doesn't seem to have, hesitated or stopped or asked or considered whether Jesus does pay the tax or not. He just said, yes, yes, he does. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. So Peter doesn't come in and say, hey, Jesus, I told the guys that we pay taxes. Uh, do we, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't speak first. Jesus speaks first. And Jesus says to him, what do you think, Simon? He asked, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children? or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, 
Open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Now, by the way, Jesus, as he was moving through all these places and ministering, there were a group of people that are with him and there was enough or there were funds that they were receiving and they were using for their expenses. And guess who was in charge of the money purse? Judas, Judas Iscariot, right? Judas Iscariot. And in fact, the Bible says that he used to take money from it. So they had some money. It's not that Jesus couldn't have said, go to the money purse, find four drachmas, pay my tax. And actually he doesn't even talk about the rest of the disciples. So he doesn't say, you know, 12 times two, you know, something. I mean, he just says, pay your tax and my tax. So there's a whole supernatural thing going on here. There's a whole other meaning to, I mean, or, or something we could learn. That's a topic for another time. All I wanted to point out to you is that Jesus says, so that we may not be of any offense, so that this would not create some sort of a stumbling block, so that people won't say, how come you don't pay taxes? You want us to listen to the gospel, but you don't pay your tax. Jesus says, go pay the tax. Take care of it. Get it done. Right? And then let's turn to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Paul is writing to the believers in Rome, but he's speaking about the authorities. Which authorities? The Roman Empire, Caesar, and all these oppressive things that were going on around them. Believers being persecuted. He's speaking about those kind of people, and he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. When we get into the book of Acts, we will see that Peter and the disciples make it very clear that if there is a situation where they have to obey God or obey the government, they will obey God, even over what the government is saying as such. In this situation or this verse, Paul is not speaking about that. He's saying in the, in the law of the land as such or in the ways in which you would live in that land and be subject to the authorities without any violation of God's truth or God himself, do it. You follow the authorities, follow the, the law. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So without belaboring the point, I think the Bible is instructing us, pay taxes. 
it doesn't say don't complain. Maybe you're complaining, but, but pay your taxes. But that brings us back to what Jesus actually said to the people. He said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That begs the question, what is Caesar's? What is Caesar's? What does Jesus refer to? Why is Jesus saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's? Well, in a very summarized way, material goods, wealth, anything that the world can lay claim on or that the world can gain a hold of in your life, be prepared to give it back to the world. That's what Jesus is saying. It's the same principle that we looked at when Jesus speaks to that rich young ruler. Because he says to him, sell all that you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. What's the principle? If these are the things of the world that are holding you, be prepared to give it back. Be prepared to give it away. And you come and you follow me. So what is Caesar's? Things of this world. Things that will hold you. It's the same mindset. It's the same principle that Jesus is speaking about here that affects Zacchaeus when he says, oh, when he repents, when he knows the Savior, he says, oh, I'm going to give away half of my wealth and anybody that I have wronged, I'm going to give back four times what I extorted from them. I took a dollar, I'm going to give them four. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to return in this way because this material wealth is not what I should be focused on. I'm I can give it away. I give it back. But the question that can also be raised is, why should I give my hard-earned money to Caesar? Why should I do that? Or, or to the government? Or to the church? Caesar was an immoral, selfish, ungodly man who lavished himself with every pleasure while others were suffering. The government, oh, the government is corrupt mismanages funds. And the church, church doesn't really need it. Those that are serving in the church seem to be doing just fine. They seem to be pretty good. And someone else will give. You know, someone else is giving, someone else will continue to give. Why should I give? And, you know, in all of this, where how the scripture is stated, what we read, the examples, Romans, everything else, the accountability for paying the tax, for obeying the law, for giving in this way, is on us to obey what the Lord has said. The accountability for what is done with those taxes is on those folks and God. God is not saying to us, you go do this thing and then you fight or you do this and you demand this. He says, you obey, you do this. You go ahead and you pay your tax, you obey the laws, you go through things. What that person does with it, if there is corruption, if there's misuse, if there's whatever else, they are accountable to God. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that we don't speak up when we see injustice, when we see mismanagement, when we see abuse, when we see corruption. I'm not saying that we should not speak up about it. In fact, I know as we keep going, you know, we have to sort of make sure that we say things like that, right? Uh, one of the reasons for the American Revolution and the fact that the, the colonies formed as the United States of America 
and declared their independence from Britain was because of taxation without representation. They said, oh, you know, you're just taxing us, but you're not giving us any voice. Now, that was not the only reason. There were other factors, but that was one of the big things, right? And there were other things about governance and all sorts of stuff. But it's not that you don't speak up when something is not done right. But when the Bible speaks to us about living at peace with all or living a quiet life, living a boring life, it's really saying, do the things that are necessary to pay your taxes, obey the laws, maintain the things, and, and you know, pray for the, those in authority. So be subject to those in authority. So give to Caesars. Say give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Be willing. Be, be, don't, don't hold it as if it's yours. Oh, you know, the government is taking 50%. Oh, no. Okay. But God, help me to understand, help me to, do, help me to do what's necessary in this. But you see, Jesus doesn't just stop with the charge to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He asks his questioners for the coin, and then he says, Whose image and inscription are on it? Whose image and inscription are on the coin? Now this is a tip, uh, a very representative coin. For those of you online, I trust you're able to see that image too. Good. And so that, that is a coin that would have been from that time period uh, that we're speaking about in Jesus' time. And if you go on eBay, by the way, you can find coins like this. People are selling it for $400 more and all these kind of things. You can, you can find these coins. But this coin, the inscription, so the image on it is of Caesar. In this case, you know, this, this would have been like a Caesar Tiberius who would have been the Caesar at the time that Jesus, that this event is taking place in Jesus' earthly ministry. And the inscription around the coin inscription says would would read Tiberius Caesar Divi or Divi Augusta Filius Augustus which means and I'm not I'm not a Latin expert so that, that could have been mispronounced but the meaning in English is Caesar Augustus Tiberius son of the divine Augustus and by extension, Tiberius himself would be a god. And on the reverse side of this coin, it said Pontifex Maximus, that is, highest priest. So what is this coin that Jesus is asking them to look at? It bears the image and inscription of Caesar and speaks of Caesar as being divine. On the right, on the upper right corner of this coin there, you'll see the, you can see those letters D-I-V-I, -I, right? It's where we get divine. It's that root, divi. So it's, it's saying Caesar is divine. He's a God. And on the back of the coin, it would have said, he is the highest priest. So just think about this. Jesus is very, very clever. I mean, he is having them look at a coin. These Jewish leaders, these spies, these other people around him. He, he has them look at this coin. And he says, whose image and inscription are on this? And they say, Caesar's. And they're reading this inscription. 
right? Tiberius Caesar, Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus, right? They're reading that inscription. And Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the ultimate high priest who took his own blood to be the sacrifice for our sins, the one who did everything that was to be done and was far superior, there is no comparison to any earthly ruler, is drawing the contrast. And he's saying, look at this coin. And this Caesar, who makes these claims about himself and is saying these things about who he is or what he can do, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. If Jesus had just stopped at saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, then we have an appropriate or a command or a directive from the Lord. But Jesus doesn't stop there because he wants us to understand that when you look at the image and inscription that the world will try to put on the things of this world, there is another image and inscription that is put on the children of God. The Bible says that God created us in his image. The Bible has put, the Bible says that the Lord has put his name on us. The Bible says that he has fulfilled his word, his inscription, his prophecies, his truths in our lives. And we walk around in this earth with the image and inscription of God himself. And so when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, what he thinks is his, what he's claiming, what he's talking about, okay, but give to God what is God's. What is God's? Everything. And most particularly, you. You and I, we are God's. We're not Caesar's. The Bible says that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. The silver and gold are his. Everything that you see around you is actually all God's. And it calls us as children of God to be stewards of what he has entrusted into our hand. It tells us that we are to manage these resources, not as the owners, but as the stewards of the owner, so that we will do his will and invest. We will have kingdom investments. We will have kingdom responsibility. We will be faithful and 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 diligent to take what he has given into our hands and to build it up and to see the kingdom of God built up. So that's our responsibility. So he's saying, look, all these things that the world will lay claim off and say, this is, you know, you have to give this, hold it very loosely. None of that should have a hold on you. But you've got to understand that you belong to me, that you are mine, that the image and inscription that is on you is of God. And so this morning, if you're sitting here and you don't understand that, or you're listening and you don't understand that, you don't understand what it means to have the image of God and the inscription of God on your heart. You don't understand what it means when the Bible says that in the last days when we are joined together with the Lord, that he will have a new name for us, that, that he will call us, that he has his own identity for us as his children. 
We talked or we were reminded even earlier about our God being a good father and loving us and caring for us. Oh, what a pleasure, what a joy, what a privilege that we bear the image and the inscription of God. And so when we come to him, we're not giving our taxes, pardon me, our earnings to taxes or our stuff to the church. Well, that's not the way we think about it. We say, God, this is all yours. This is all yours. And you tell me where you want to direct this. You tell me what you want me to do with this. And I will be obedient. But first and foremost, most importantly, I give you all of myself. The person that accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the one who says, Jesus, I receive what you have done on the cross and I receive the forgiveness of sins because you have shed your blood for me. That person who does that is saying, Lord, I give you my whole life. And it's, I'm now stamped with you. I'm now bearing your image. I, when I go to the world around me, I'm the coin that they see and they say, oh, Jesus. I am representing Jesus. So we give our money, we give our time, we give our talent, we give everything. We give our bodies, we give it all to Jesus. Romans chapter 6 verse 13 says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And you know, the wonderful thing about God, see, Caesar wants your money, but not your problems, not your concerns, not your cares. The wonderful thing about God is that he's not just telling us to give us or to give him of our good things. Okay, you took five talents and you built that up to 10. Fine, give me the profit. You know, it's not like that. Jesus says, you give me everything, including all of those problems, all those anxieties, all those cares. Cast them on First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties, your cares, on him, because he cares for you. Jesus is saying, give to God what is God's. It includes all those things that you may be struggling with, all those loved ones that you're praying for, all those situations that you're saying, I don't know how I'll get through this. Jesus is saying, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Cast your care. Many times we equate what God asks us to do with what the world asks us to do. So we say, oh, the government is making these demands on me. And we think God is making the same kind of demand when he says to give generously, when he says to do these things, we say, uh, no, it's not the same kind of demand at all. 
God's not saying to us, give me what is good. God is saying to us, give me even what you think is bad. Even when you think that this is not so great, give it to me. I am the one who is faithful. And that brings us to that widow. Jesus said of that widow, she gave of everything that she had. Now, she was giving in the temple. The temple was being run by corrupt leaders. I mean, Jesus clears the money changers out of the temple. There's all sorts of stuff going on. But this widow, in all that she could do and all that she could understand, was that the way that I can give to the Lord, the way that I can express my gratitude to God, the way that I will express that I'm giving everything to God is to put my two little coins in the temple. And she, she gave. With no further question, with nothing else going on. And so Jesus speaks of her and says, she gave more than everybody else. She gave out of what she even didn't have. Now, again, I'm not at all suggesting to you that the Bible calls for us to live impoverished lives. But when I get to the point of application here, I want to talk about the fact that the Bible does call us to give without cost or without counting the cost in that sense. Meaning, we're not saying, well, if I give this much, then I can't do that. And, but rather that we would give according to the instruction of the Lord. That we would say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And even if it is something that I'm planning this way or I'm planning that way, I'll give. I've told the story here before at a prayer meeting. We had an opportunity in, uh, when we were in Ohio. Uh, we were saving for a van to buy a minivan. Now the boys were young and we needed minivan space. You know? um, and we were saving, we were saving for it. And this man showed up in church one Sunday morning from a ministry in California, talked about this whole thing that they were doing and how they were sending people all over the world, blah, 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 and through this whole description. And he said, we need funds. And both Dizzy and I, independently, I mean, we didn't, we didn't like discuss it and pass notes to each other. We just turned to each other and said, we think, I think we need to give that money that we've been saving. And we just took that entire amount and gave it in that offering. We had no idea how we would recover that money. We had no idea whether we would be able to buy that van anytime soon. We just felt that this is what we needed to do. We gave it. We did get a minivan later and you know, it was all fine. There was no issue at all financially and things like that. But we had in mind a certain set of actions and a certain sequence of timing of things. And the Lord just said, no, don't, no, don't do that. I want you to do this. And we just did. There were lots of different things that happened after that. And there were some real issues that took place in that ministry in California. But at that point in time, what the Lord asked us to do, we obeyed. That's all we could do. So when we talk about this and we say, Lord, we want to be dependent on you. We want to trust you. We want to be like that widow in that sense to say, Lord, if this is all I can do, that's what I'm doing. If this is more than what I can even afford to do, 
That's what I'm doing. I'll trust him. And that brings us to the fact that when we respond to this message, to this example, to this call, we respond by giving ourselves entirely to the Lord. We don't hold back. We don't say, you know, God, I'll give you my Sunday best. But through the rest of the week, you know, that, that's me. That's, that's for me. I need to have this for myself. And we say, Lord, we give you of ourselves entirely. And then you will take care of my needs. And if you will say to me, okay, take this portion of this amount and do this. Spend it on getting a minivan. Spend it on getting your hair done. You know, I mean, God, you know, he will say, take care of those things. He's not asking us not to do those. But let us give ourselves entirely to him and then allow him to direct what we do. When we respond by giving ourselves entirely to God, this point of application that I want to close with today is this, that we would apply, we would get things right in terms of what needs to be given to both Caesar and to God. You know, uh, most of us, and especially as we start out in our careers and so on, you know, get a little paycheck and then it starts to increase and you work faithfully, you do this, you get a different job, paycheck increases. Most of us, when our income increases, what increases? What, what's the other thing that increases? Our spending. Our spending increases. So we had been fine when we had, whatever, you know, $50,000. And we said, okay, I can spend according to this. Now our income has gone up to $70,000. We don't say, I can still live the way that I was when I was earning 50. We say, oh, I need to spend a little bit more. I need a bigger car. I need a bigger house. I need better clothes. I need to do my hair differently. And so all of a sudden, again, <laughs> I'm not telling you that you should not have a bigger car or a bigger house or spend money on your hair. Do it. But think about it. Most of the time, when our income increases, we increase our spending to match our income. We don't increase our giving to match our income. And when our income decreases, we promptly decrease our giving. We don't promptly decrease our spending. And we've got this kind of a relationship in terms of our giving versus our spending. And so the question is, as you listen to Jesus saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's, what do you need to set right? What areas in your life do you need to pay attention to? Where is it that your ambition and your desire and that dream house and something else in front of you is causing you to go in a slightly different path than where the Lord wants you to be. What is pulling your heart? And those things that would hold your heart, those things that will be your treasure, where your heart will follow, those things have the potential, that love for those things has the potential for leading you astray from God. 
for leading you into evil. So, again, this is not a, I'm not trying to give you a, don't spend money. That, that's not the message. I'm saying, give to God what is God's. Give him everything. If you go and look up the stories about William Colgate, you know, the Colgate Palmolive company and the whole brand and all the products, or you look at the story of James L. Kraft, Kraft Foods, you know, of Kraft Foods. Or you look at the story of Henry John Heinz, ketchup, right? Heinz ketchup. Um, you will find that these were godly men who started to earn, I mean, their earnings just started to, you know, explode. But they had all set apart this principle of giving to the Lord. So they started by giving out, giving a tithe. And as their income kept increasing, they kept increasing their, in, their giving to the point that, and I don't have a verified fact on this, but the, the, the statement is that Colgate, towards the end of his life, was giving away 90% of what was the income and living on 10, because even that was more than enough for what he needed. But as the income kept increasing, they kept increasing their giving. Because they said, I mean, I know what I need. And I would ask you the question and I would challenge you as you're setting this thing right and so on. And we talk about biblical money management. We talk about long-term planning and doing that. Be wise in all of that. But I would ask you, what is really reasonable to have to live a decent life? Is it 50,000? Is it 100,000? Is it 120,000? Is it 200,000? Well, what is the number that you think would, you know, I, I, I know what my budget is. I know where my expenses are. I can live at this level. Now, if the Lord is just bringing into your hand two times, three times, ten times that amount, what should you do? Do you immediately say, oh, look at the favor of God and the blessings of God. I need to buy two more cars. Right? Or do you say, you know, I, I, I can still live fine. At this level, what should I do to give? How do I give? In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, it says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. There is a poverty mindset that says, I must hold on to what I have. But Jesus says, and it will be given to you. Give, and you gain even more. So this morning, I want to challenge you, I want to ask you that you look and see, where, where, is, where are your priorities? Where do you stand with these things? You can have plenty of complaints about taxes, and some of them are justified. But ask yourself, where do I really stand with regard to this? What holds my heart and what, this, what's, what do I give to God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy in our lives that instructs us for everything, every area of our life. And I thank you, Lord, that you call us to live peaceable lives in this world, to obey the laws and to respect the authorities and to pray for those who are governing. And Lord, many times those who are governing may not do the right things even, but we pray. Lord, your wisdom will prevail, that your truth 
will be manifest. And Father, that most importantly, we would handle everything, all these resources, all these things, as stewards of the living God, of the true God, of our high priest in heaven. Not the things of this world and the claims that this world will make on us. Lord, we pray that we would give to you ourselves in entirely or in everything, in every area that we would give ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to set things right and to glorify you. We pray that you direct our steps in Jesus' name. Amen.